listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. As we transition into a time of opening up the Word, I would ask you to open up with me to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 14. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 14. Uh, And we're continuing on in a series in which we're looking at the life of King David, uh, a well-known figure in the Bible. Uh, And we're going to continue on in his story this morning. We're going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 14 and going through verse 23. And I really encourage you, if you do have a Bible this morning, to, to physically open it up. There's something about opening the Bible that says, I want to hear it. I want to receive it. I, I want to submit to it. So let's read it together this morning. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, this is the current king, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Now one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse, his father, and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered into his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Well, like I said, I'm so glad that you guys have chosen to worship with us this morning. It's already been a good morning of music and song and and baby dedications. I'm excited to continue on that worship experience as we open up the word together this morning. But before we get to King David and into his life, I want to ask you a question. What do you think are the most frustrating moments of life? If I were to ask you what moments in your life bring about the most vexation, the most frustration, the most annoyance, what moments of those life of your life would those be? I think, if I'm allowed to speak for all of us, which I can't because I have the microphone, but if it's not you, I'm sorry, but I, I could speak for us. I think the most frustrating moments in life are the moments in which we are forced to wait. I hate waiting. I hate waiting for small things, the day-to-day things. I hate waiting for the big things in life. I just hate waiting in general. And and maybe you share this. And so as I was thinking about this sermon this morning, I I tried to come up with my top five hate-to-wait list. And I wonder if you were to make a list of the things in life for which you hate to wait the most, what would be on your list? And let's see if your list matches mine. So my number one thing that I hate to wait for is waiting for food to cook 
when I'm hungry, right? I, I remember a few years ago, I, I started fasting for the first time as an adult. I saw it in scripture. I said, hey, I want to fast. This is a good thing for me to do. And so I remember I wasn't working here at the time, uh, but I said, I'm going to make it the whole day, right? I'm going to try to fast for the whole day. And I remember I made it through breakfast, which is not that hard because I don't eat breakfast anyway, right? So I made it through <laughs> breakfast and then I got to lunch. And I remember my, my hunger started to grow. My irritation started to grow, but I, I made it through there. I did it through prayer. Uh, but by the afternoon, I was getting a little irritated with people, snapping at people a little bit, and I was just so hungry. So I finally raced home in the evening, and I remember I was living in an apartment at the time, and and all I had in the refrigerator was a a chicken McNugget microwavable dinner, right? I couldn't cook back then. I still can't cook now, but that's what I had in the refrigerator. And I remember that was the longest two minutes, 45 seconds of my entire life was for that to cook. But I can also tell you that was the best meal that I've had in my entire life. So for me, number one, waiting for food to cook when I'm hungry. Number two, waiting for someone to get ready when I'm already ready to go, right? You got the shoes on, you got got your keys in your pocket, you're ready to go, and you're waiting on someone else. I cannot stand to wait for other people. Number three... This is a common shared human experience that even strangers in in here share, waiting in line at the DMV, right? You know what I'm talking about? When you pull your ticket and you're number 142 and they're calling number 55, right? This is what I'm talking about. I hate to wait in the DMV. Number four, waiting in traffic, but not just waiting in traffic, waiting in traffic when you have to use the restroom, Right? This is an excruciating experience in life. You know that moment you're on the 610 North Interchange, there's gnarled traffic, and you have to make this judgment call. Am I going to try to make it home, or am I going to try to exit and hit up that Arby's restroom? Right? I know you've been in that situation before. Am I going to make it? It's an excruciating experience. So waiting in traffic when I use the restroom. And then number five, in no particular order, waiting on hold with customer support. Um, I think I hold the record for the longest amount of time held. And if you can beat this record, please find me after the service and tell me you, you beat it so I can share your story. But my record on hold is an hour 30 uh, with someone on the phone. And not only that, but after an hour 30, the line disconnected. And I don't know if they hung up on me. That's my conspiracy theory or what. I won't say the company, but I think they hung up on me. But regardless, I had to call back and I had to get back in the queue. I went back in line and had to wait for it. So I hate waiting. And I'm sure there's not a person in here. There might be a few, but I'm sure you hate waiting as well. Waiting is a common human experience. And this morning, I would imagine that you are waiting for something in life. And the things that you're waiting for are much bigger than waiting in line at the DMV or waiting in traffic. You're waiting for for big things. Maybe for you this morning, you're waiting for God to give you direction. You don't know what to do next. You, You want to know what to do next. You've been praying to God and it feels like he hasn't given you clear direction. Maybe for you, you're waiting for a job offer. You've put out so many applications and it feels like it's been so long and you're still waiting for someone to get back to you. Maybe you're in a, single, uh, in a season of singleness and you're waiting for a husband or a wife. Maybe you're waiting for an offer on your house as you seek to grow your family and you're looking for a new place to live. You're waiting for an offer on your house. Maybe you're waiting for a medical diagnosis. You're in a season of life where you're not quite sure about the future, where this thing is, is happening and you're looking to see what's going to happen next. Maybe it's not that big. Maybe you're just waiting for a phone call from someone. Or an apology from that person. 
or a much-needed paycheck, or maybe you're, you're wanting to be parents, you're, you're in a season in which you want to be parents, but God has denied that to you in this season. Maybe you're waiting for God to act, or whatever it is, you're in a season, and you just want to be out of that season into the next one. I think it's amazing that God gave us this phenomenal ability to not only think about the past and to recreate it in our mind, but to imagine the future. God gives us the ability to imagine the future, to plan, to think about what we want for the future. And yet God has not given us the ability to usher the future any faster than one second at a time. Right? One Mississippi. Two Mississippi. Three Mississippi. For Mississippi. This is how fast time moves for all of us. And so the question arises, not if you're waiting for something, but what are you waiting for in life? And a deeper question might be, why is waiting such a big part of life? And maybe even a deeper question would be, what does God intend to do in your season of waiting? What does God intend for this season? I've entitled my sermon this morning, Quit Hating the Waiting, which I think is pretty clever. Turn to your neighbor and say, Quit Hating the Waiting. Turn to your other neighbor and say, A little bit more enthusiastically. <laughs> Quit Hating the Waiting. When you think about it, you're always waiting for something. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in, you are waiting for something. Whether it's big or whether it's small, you're waiting for something. And I believe that if God equates waiting, if God makes waiting as part of the normal Christian experience, then it's on us to look past the frustration into the blessing that comes with waiting. Because there is blessing associated with it. You see, this morning, and really every, every time we come to church, God is trying to remind us of two things. God is trying to remind us that there are two ways to approach life. That there is one way, which is the approach of sin and the approach of the world. There's one way to look at life. And then on the other hand, there's the way of God. On the one hand, there's approach of sin. And on the other, there's righteousness. On, on one, there's our way to approach life. And then there's God's way to approach life. On the one hand, there's a way to approach life that leads to anxiety and another that leads to peace. And so each and every Sunday, no matter what the sermon is on, really the call is for us to abandon our way of life and to approach God in His way of life. Jesus says, come, follow me into my way of life. And this morning, specifically, we talk about a way of life dominated by impatience and a way of life that's characterized by patience. When you have an impatient worldview, which I have this morning... When you have an impatient worldview, you want everything on demand. You want it instantaneously. You want the things that you are looking forward to to be ushered into the present as quickly as possible. When you have an impatience worldview, you're usually a self-achiever. Because you think, man, the things that I want in life, I can achieve with my own hand. And the harder I work, the faster I'm going to get those things. When you have an impatience worldview, you have no time for God's divine interruptions in your life because when God works to take you off course, you're like, God, what are you doing? This is where I want to go. Why are you interrupting what I want to do? When you have an impatience worldview, you are center and God is peripheral. But contrasted with that, the Bible holds up this image of patience, long-suffering, 
of expectation and hope in God. When you're approaching life through a patience worldview, God is at the center and you are peripheral. When you have a patience worldview, you're happy to go as fast as God goes or as slow as God goes. When you have a patience worldview, you can approach life in such a way that says, I don't care where I'm at in this season, I know that God is in control. I believe that's what God is calling us to this morning. You see, impatience understands that with waiting comes frustration. But patience knows something that impatience does not know, that with waiting carries divine blessing. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, it says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. You see, there's a secret that the ancient followers of God, including King David, discovered. And it began to characterize their life and the way that they approached life. And this secret kept them in a peaceful present instead of an anxious future. It kept them into an unhurried way of life. And if you want to bridge the gap between your anxious, your impatient way of life, which you and I are so constantly in, if you want to bridge the gap between that world into the world of patience and joy and peace and not caring about where you're at in your situation but entrusting with God, if you want to bridge that gap this morning, I believe the Bible offers to us the solution. So in our text this morning and in our story, we revisit David. And if you remember last week, we started a series called Anointed Mess. Turn to your neighbor and say, Anointed Mess. One more time, a little more enthusiastically. There we go, Anointed Mess. You see, this morning, David is what I call an anointed mess. On the one hand, he's anointed by God to be king over Israel. He's the man that God is going to put in charge. But on the other hand, David is a mess. His life begins in a mess. His coronation begins in a mess. He makes a lot of mistakes. And I think in a lot of ways, David is just like us. We are an anointed mess. God has called us to do great things, and yet we so often mess them up. And in our story this morning, you find David in a very strange situation. If you remember from last week, David was anointed by Samuel the prophet of God, the old prophet of God. And if you remember, Samuel overlooks David's older brothers, who everyone thought would be king-like material. Samuel overlooks them and goes right to David. So David is anointed as king. But in our story this morning, we find David not entering into a coronation, but entering into King Saul's court. You would imagine that if David would get anointed, he would go right into the kingship. But that doesn't happen, does it? David enter King Saul's court. And we find King Saul has gone off the deep end. Right? Saul started off as a man who followed God, but over time he became resistant and resistant to God's call on his life. And gradually he began to move away from God, and gradually God began to move away from him. And now we find a man who's sort of schizophrenic, paranoid, who has all these problems. He's a man who's resisted God, and that's where we find Saul. And so Saul's servant says, hey man, you're sort of going off the deep end here. Why don't you call a man who's good at making music, who's good at worshiping the Lord, and maybe that will bring blessing on your life. Saul says, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And so one of Saul's men says, I know a guy 
I know a youth who's the son of Jesse. Let's call him. He's good at making music. Maybe he can come and serve you, and then the Lord will relent a little bit. So David enters into the kingdom of Saul. Like us, David is waiting. David knows what he's called to do. David knows that he's been anointed. David knows that he has big things to do for God, and yet he finds himself in this season of waiting. And it's in this season of waiting that I believe that David discovers a theological truth that's true for us as well. That in your waiting, God is shaping. In your waiting, God is shaping. You see, in all the seasons of David's life, whether he's watching out for the sheep out in the field, whether he's serving in Saul's court, whether he's out on the battlefield, whether he's fleeing from Saul because Saul gets that paranoia that begins to try to kill David. In all these seasons, David is being shaped by God. You may not know this, but probably scholars say the time between David when he was anointed to be king and when he actually became king was about 15 years. So David has 15 years of waiting for God. And in this season, he's being shaped. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 8 says this, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. The Bible says over and over again that we are clay in God's hands. That in your waiting, God is shaping you. In your waiting, God is honing around the rough edges. God is preparing you for the things in which he wants you to step into. And that's what David had to do. And I don't know if you've ever tried to make a pot with a spinner and stuff like that. If you've done a class like that, I did that one time. You get your hands really messy when you do that. David's life was a mess. But the Lord was shaping him in all that. David was anointed. But David had to learn some things. David's character had to grow a little bit in the season of waiting. You see, David in the season learned two things, I believe. First, he learned to trust God. David learned to trust God. You see, David probably thought that he was going to go from shepherd to king. From A to Z. But where does David go? He goes from A to H to T to B to G and then finally to Z after that. And in so many ways, our lives do not move linearly, but instead God brings us to a lot of different places. This is what happened to David. And I think David says this in Psalm chapter 57 verse 2. He reflects on this. David, who wrote most of the Psalms, he says this in Psalm 57 verse 2. He says, I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. I wonder in your season of waiting, what are you learning from God? What is God teaching you right now in this season of life? Have you reflected on that? So often I feel like we get so fixated on the thing that we want that we forget to think about what God is trying to teach us in the season. In your waiting, God is shaping David learned to trust God in the season. And you see that over and over in the Psalms. David, who wrote some of the greatest literature the world has ever known, and in so many Psalms, he says, I will trust the Lord. Secondly, David learns the power of worship. David learns the power of worship in his waiting. He sees Saul. 
This man is resistant to God. This man is so hard-hearted against God. And he sees the power of worship. And how worship removes this sort of melancholy, evil spirit that, that surrounds Saul. And so David learns the power of worship in even the darkest times. In your waiting, God is shaping. He teaches you to trust God. And he teaches you the power of worship. See, waiting can either be frustrating or it can be transforming. Waiting can either be frustrating or it can be transforming. And I believe that over time, as we trust God more and more, that we begin to develop a heart and an attitude of trust. I think it's very easy for us in life to become fixated on the things that we want instead of seeing what God wants us to do. Quick story from my own life. I remember at age 20, in my vast wisdom, I wanted two things. I wanted to be a full-time minister of God. I didn't know what that looked like, whether that was missions or whether that was a church, whatever it is, but I wanted to be a full-time minister of God. And two, I wanted to be married, right? I wanted both of those things in my life. I knew I wanted them. I knew that in many ways God wanted those things for me. And yet from age 20 to age 30, I did not have those things. That in fact, God did not give me exactly what I wanted as quickly as I wanted it. But in that season, between age 20 and age 30, God took me to a lot of places. I went to uh, live overseas and do mission work. I switched my degree about two or three times, from business to political science to journalism, and finally I got a seminary degree. During that time, I tried to start my own business, and I failed miserably. (laughs) I tried to go into the career world, try to rise up, change jobs. And I could look at that time in my life and say, man, so much wasted time. Or I could look at that time and see how God shaped me, how God grew me, how God was grooming me to the places that he wanted me to go. I think so often in our life, we want to take shortcuts. We want to take matters into our own hands. And yet what we find in David's life is he never does that. He never does that. He always waits upon the Lord. Even in our passage this morning, where do we find David? He's tending the sheep. He's a king. He's anointed as king and he's still tending the sheep. And then you find David gets called into Saul's court and you have someone else come and Jesse basically sends his son. David is cool with it. He's like, whatever the Lord wants me to do, I don't mind doing that. And then David enters into Saul's service. And in all this, he's learning. See, David didn't want to run past God. David didn't want to run past God. Wherever God was at, however fast God was moving, that's where David wanted to go. That was the pace that he wanted to go at. I think David discovered something in this season that I think we are called to discover. See, there are 22 psalms about waiting for God. 22, and David wrote most of those. And in all those things, David stumbles upon a new way of life. Waiting upon the Lord is a way of life. As followers of God, we are called to wait upon the Lord. 
And I think that as we do that, over time, we begin to build trust in God, and He gives us greater things, and we have more trust in that, and it builds on itself. I believe that trust leads to more trust. And let me give you a, a real-life example of that. Um, so a few months ago, um, my wife uh, noticed that I needed a haircut. Right? My, my hair was getting long, and I, I don't like people to give me a haircut. I like to find the one person that I like, right? The one person, and no one else can give me a haircut. And so I had this person that I went to uh, here in Oak Forest, but my wife says we should save some money. She says, let me give you a haircut. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I love my wife, um, but I was a little nervous. Right? Understandably nervous. She studied a little bit uh, of, of, I don't know what you call it, but whatever, uh, when, you know, when you give people a haircut, she studied that a little bit, and she had the materials and things. She says, well, let me just try it once, and then we'll see how it goes, right? And I go, oh, okay. And she said, well, how about tonight? So, <laughs> okay. So she busts out, literally, she has the black thing, right? You know, like they put it, she's got that. And I'm sitting on the chair and she's got the scissors and the razor out. And I'm just praying to God, you know, like, you know, we're newly married. I don't want to offend her, right? And so she says, I'm just going to cut a little bit and then we'll see how it goes. So she does it, right? She does it. And I look in the mirror and guess what? I look Phenomenal, right? I look great. My haircut is awesome. Yeah, she's a great. So my haircut is awesome. Well, guess what? She noticed last week that I needed a haircut. And guess what? I said, when can we do it? I sat down. She did it. And my hair looks pretty great. Now, I didn't shampoo this morning, so don't let that reflect on it. But it just shows you trust builds more trust. And the more you trust God, the more you submit things to God, and the more things work out, the more we build trust upon God as a way of life. Waiting upon the Lord is a way of life. And in fact, this idea of waiting, I think, carries with it two things. One, waiting is worship and trust. That in your waiting, can you worship God? In your waiting, can you pray and submit to Him? In that season of my life between age 20 and age 30, you got to know that I had some pretty heartfelt prayers toward God. I I had a lot of run-ins with God. I had a lot of times in which I shook my fist at God, but I tried to always go to God. I tried to pray to Him. I tried to say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? I want this so badly. I'm going to keep praying for this so badly, but what are you teaching me? I learned in that season of my life to worship. Can you worship God in your waiting? Worship changes the landscape. Worship changes everything, even when nothing has changed. Jesus himself tells us to abide in him, to stay close to him, to linger with him, and whatever he wants us to do. So waiting, I believe, involves an element of worship. And I think waiting also involves an element of service. To wait on the Lord is not only worship Him, but I see this image of waiting on tables and the way that a waiter waits on tables. We wait upon the Lord. We serve the Lord in the season that we're in. Can you serve God in the season even while you wait for the future? Waiting on the Lord matters. It mattered to David, it matters to you, and it matters for the church. So often I think we talk about sermons and we think of ourselves individually, and that's good. We're, we're supposed to do that. But this morning, not only individually, but I also believe that we as a church should be a church that waits well. We should be a church that is sort of a counter community in a world of impatience. 
In a world that wants things now, in a world that wants things yesterday, we as a church are called to be a counter community that reflects Jesus in his patience. Jesus in his gospel. God every week liberates us from impatience through his gospel. So the question is, will we be a church that's humble, that's being shaped in our waiting? Or will we be an impulsive church? Will we be patient toward each other? Will we recognize when we sin against each other that we're all just works in progress? Will we be a church that holds up patience high, especially in regard to each other? God calls us to do that this morning. In the midst of all the unrest out there, God says that we are called to be a sanctuary. A sanctuary for people who are trying to figure it out. And this is really applicable to me as a pastor because if you know me personally, you know that one of the deepest desires of my heart is to not only grow myself spiritually, but to grow you spiritually. And if I try to take matters in my own hands, whether it's for me or for you, and I try to force us to be more spiritual, it just ain't going to work. But instead, we're to trust the Lord, knowing that he's growing us over time as we submit to him. I want our church to grow. I believe that God is calling our church to grow, to have a bigger impact in our community. And I could take that and I could say, man, we're going to force it. We're just going to force God's hand. Or we can say, let's wait for the Lord. Let's pray to him. Let's, let's trust him in these things. And I believe if we do this, the Lord will bless us. The Bible says that with patience, with endurance, comes blessing. I think this morning, even as we saw this baby dedications, we see pregnancy as a great example of this. Sorrow lasts for the night. Sorrow lasts through the pregnancy. But when the baby is born, joy comes. God has called us to be like that. In the midst of an impatient, impetuous generation, we are to be patient people. So as we draw to a close this morning... You know that God has called you to patience. You see in David's life a man who took nothing from him for himself. We would probably call him passive in our generation. Man, David never takes anything for himself except when he gets older. But in this season, he doesn't. And yet what we find in David is a perfect example of someone who always waits upon the Lord. So we know that God wants us to wait. But at the very end here, I, I do want to share sort of God's heart and that God understands waiting. God understands waiting. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, it says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So you see this image of God almost waiting, if we could use that term for God, in anticipation of bringing to us salvation. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God understands waiting. God understands your waiting. Jesus specifically understands it. Jesus know why, knew why he came to the earth, and yet he had to wait 30 years to enter into ministry. He had to wait about three years after that to die on the cross. 
Jesus understands waiting. Even now, the Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, waiting to bring us full redemption. Jesus understands waiting. This morning, whether you're a follower of God or not, we have a reminder that God is patient with us. That the Bible says that God is not slow in what he's doing, but instead he wants everyone to come to repentance and knowledge of the truth. This morning, if you're not a follower of God this morning, it's important for you to know that God is patient. That God has open arms for you to receive you into his kingdom. And for the rest of us, God calls us to live in patient obedience in the seasons that we're in. Good, bad, beautiful, ugly. Jesus says, I'm with you through it all. Think about the ways in which God is teaching you in this season. And think about the ways in which you can worship him while you're waiting. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for your gospel, um, which teaches us that you were so patient with us that you sent your son to redeem us, to us, lead us out of our brokenness and into places of healing and restoration. Lord, what a great reminder we have this morning of a man called David who wasn't perfect, but who waited upon the Lord. And may we be people who wait upon you. We love you, Lord. We're trying to get this thing right, but we need your help. Lastly, I pray for all these people in this room, Lord, in whatever season of waiting that they're in, that it might be a time in which trust is built and faith is built and hope is built as we know that ultimately what you give us, Lord, is what's best for us. We love you, and it's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.